Um, today is, as I mentioned, a first day for me post-summer retreat and really post-rebirth. And I've shared during the weekend, last weekend, and I've shared here and there also this past Friday. But August the 4th for me was a renewal. I will forever remember that as my second birth in terms of my pastoral ministry and even in my personal life. And it was just a significant moment where I just kind of was at this crossroads, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically even. And it just so happened, the things aligned, the stars aligned on August the 4th. And something happened, something shifted in a phenomenal way in my heart. And uh, this Sunday is the first Sunday that I have taken my iPad and really kind of chucked it out the window, so to speak. Um, I... I'm going back to old school, and I've, hasn't, I haven't done this in years, and I'm returning to handwriting all of my sermons and going to an open Bible. The funny thing is, this Bible, I've had this since February of 1996. It's my trusty old Thompson Chain reference Bible, and I love this Bible. It's the first time I ever spent $120 on a Bible, and... Uh, um, this has been so faithful to me. It's been a partner in my prayers. It's really been a trusty, trusty weapon uh, in every battle of, of preaching the word. It's even been a pillow in my prayer time, actually, um, to the point where it got so kind of bad, the cover was really coming off, and somebody had leather tape, they, I don't know, for whatever reason, and so this thing weighs like 10 pounds because of the leather tape, too, on it. Uh, if you ever want to hurt somebody, just throw this at them. Uh, but... Um, the funny thing is, I bring this Bible up with me every single Sunday, and um, I can't imagine this not being by my side when I preach. Uh, but I actually don't read the passages from here. If you've noticed throughout the weeks, I've always read it from the screen. And I have it on my iPad because I cut and paste, or I copy and paste, sorry. And uh, um, I'm going to be going back to actually cracking this open and reading from it and inviting you in the process uh, to read as well. And I go back to analog in terms of uh, writing uh, my particular notes. And it's somewhat fearful for me because I like to be well prepared in in the things that I do. And coming to you today with um, one page, front and back, two posted notes, and some extra notes that I wrote on the sermon card is a little fearful. Um... But I trust uh, that this journey, as I fill this with messages and through the journey of what God will do at our church, I I pray that this would be a good one. And in light of that, I want to start by talking about City Chapel Reborn. And I'm going to hightail out of the book of Daniel that we've been in. And on Friday, I, I asked for DP's apology that we're not studying Daniel anymore. Sorry, Daniel. Uh, but... I want to talk about this journey and what it's meant, and I want to dive a little bit more into it and what it's going to look like that City Chapel um, is reborn, what what that means for us. And August the 4th was the day of my rebirth, my personal rebirth. And August the 5th, the day after that, in many ways, was the regaining of a voice that I had lost. I will share a little bit later an excerpt. Actually, I'll read it for you now. On August the 4th, this is what I wrote in my little journal that I started on that day. 
An excerpt from there says, I have lost my prophetic voice. I have lost my deep connection with God. I have cruised when I should have pressed. I have not prayed. Though I have not denied, I have not followed. I was the one with heavy eyes sleeping in the Garden of Gethsemane while Jesus was in anguish over the world. And in big, strong, bold, capital letters, no more. That journal entry went on, and that signified for me a new start, a new genesis to Robert Chun. The day after that, August the 5th, was the regaining of the voice that I felt I'd lost, that prophetic voice. And God had inspired in my heart, because if my life was being reborn and I was asking God for a renewal in our church, I was naturally asking God the question the following day, where do we go? If you've called me just simply as a shepherd, you are the greater shepherd. I need to follow you. Where do you want us to go? And on that morning, God had placed in my heart Matthew chapter 25. I shared that at the retreat, and I want to reshare that again today because I think it's important for us to understand uh, that as our identity as a church. And there was from Matthew chapter 25, as I just kind of sat inside of that chapter and just kind of breathed it and tried to understand it, there was this cry at the end that I felt God say, may this be the cry of the church. And it was really establishing the identity of City Chapel and saying City Chapel is now a church that is for the least of us. And understanding what that means. What does it mean that a church would exist for the least of the people that are there, for the least of the community, for the least of the congregation? Because we are so prone to gravitate to those that are not the least, those who have the most those who are stronger, more powerful in the C-suite, on top of the organization. But what would it look like for a church to rally around caring for the least? This I felt God put clearly in my heart. And the three parables of Matthew chapter 25 being the blueprint of the mission of our church. This is what I've always known, that God loves the world that God wants to reach the world, that God sent His Son, that who would ever believe in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It is weaved all throughout Scripture. We see that people are saved when they call upon the Lord. But as Paul wrote in the book of Romans, that there is a progression, that if a person is to be saved, they need to call on the name of the Lord. But how can a person call on the name of the Lord if there is no one there to tell them? If they're not called, how can they share that word? And Paul very explicitly goes into the fact that God wants to save people in the world, but there is a median, there is an intercessor, there is a bridge involved in this blessing. That God chooses to work this way, even though God can snap His imaginary fingers and save the entire world. He chooses not to do it that way, and He chooses to use you and me. That is God's method of doing things. And for me, the losing of the prophetic voice was the severing of that line and this line. It was the breaking of my connection with God. I was not connected. I was not praying even as a pastor should. 
I had lost this connection with the Lord. I, I was not listening. My heart was not inclined. Yes, in different moments, I, I, I don't want to mislead you in saying that I was this heathen, you know. It wasn't like that. But it, I mean, as I see the condition of my heart, I was not at a place where this connection with the Lord was firm. It was broken in so many ways. And then the connection with people. When this connection is broken, this one naturally fell. My courage, my boldness, my inspiration, my love and my compassion, everything going this way was somewhat flattened and just watered down. Why? Because this wasn't firm. When this was firm, all of a sudden, God wants to channel that and then this becomes strong. But because this was weak, I know for certain that the other side was weak as well. And these last weeks have been a regaining or the strengthening, so to speak, the thickening. It is like getting going from dial-up past the, the broadband and going to what Google offers, right, in Kansas City, right? Google Fiber, it is trying to just Take that width and the amount of information, the amount of, of things that are going through this connection is wide and strong. It can carry a lot of information. And it was the widening of that connection this way. This was primary for me. This was the first step of everything. The first step of growing the church or of loving the church or of leading people was not about being a better person, about being more gentle, about being more wise or clear. It was not about this side. It was about this side for me. And that's what August 4th was for me. It was the regaining of the connection on this side. It was a renewal to say, God, you take out the old connection that is frail and somewhat fluttering and just not consistent and you replace it with something that is tapped in. You know those AT&T commercials, keep calm, your internet's on, 99% reliability, right? You've seen those commercials probably. And thinking about that, the connection that does not disrupt. And this is what I've been trying to do. And I'm sitting with the Lord each morning as what I've dubbed my morning huddle. Just the commander in the army and I'm just sitting, so to speak, with a bunch of commanders and just waiting for the word of the general. Sir, what would you like for us to do today? And I feel that's the posture that I'm taking each morning, just sitting with the Lord and saying, God, what does this day have? What would you have me do? How are you leading? What do you want to say? And I'm just attending that meeting. And I hope that what comes out on Sundays or on Fridays is an extension of that to you. And so God led me to start and resurrect uh, an old domain that I had bought years ago. I mentioned it on Friday as well again. But years ago, I bought robertchun.com. And um, I only bought it to protect my name online. Right? I was never a fan of like namesake domains or like autographs and kind of elevating people's names above Jesus. And, um, but I had bought the name to protect it. And God was inspiring me this last week to share the things that I'm getting when I sit with Him. And it's not about the traffic to this site. It's not about anything else. I dismantled the comments. I, I dismantled easy liking. It wasn't about that. It was just about the content of what God was sharing with me when I sit with Him. And I wanted this platform to be a place where I could just unload those thoughts and for anybody and everyone, or anybody that would find interest or encouragement in those words, that they can land there 
take it as they will subscribe and you get an, an email on a when, whenever these are, are, are updated. Uh, but it's just a platform for me to be faithful to what God is asking me to do. And so I started that. And I, I pray that the times that I, that I have with God comes out and it's more organic. I'm not looking to commentaries online. I'm not looking to cut and paste easy. I've always prepared my sermons well through my computer, an eight to ten page manuscript every single week where I pour into that. But God is bringing me down a different path and He's saying, no, I, just, I want you to crack open the Bible. I want you to sit with me daily and I want you to receive I want you to receive there. And I have this weird conundrum that I've mentioned these last weeks of like, uh, like you don't know, but you know. Like what I said at the retreat, right? It's the, the least I've ever been prepared, but the most I've ever been prepared. It, it, it was that. It's, it was just like, ah, uh, like I don't know what is there, but I do know what is there. And that's this space that I'm in right now. And I, I'm, I'm very, very thankful for that. Today will be kind of a, a summary. You'll have these, this outline here. And it's the first time ever that I've never, ever put an application on the bottom of your sermon outlines. I don't know if you realize that. Um, I'm all for structure. <laughs> right? I like things clearly laid out. Um, but this rally cry of, for the least of us, this, to me, summarizes Matthew 25. But when we go back to the beginning of this entire discourse, it is called the Olivet Discourse. Why is it called the Olivet Discourse? Because Jesus was giving this final talk on the Mount of Olives to His disciples right before Passover. And in this time, he speaks to them as recorded for us in two chapters, Matthew chapter 24 and Matthew chapter 25. We're going to talk about these two chapters for a little bit over these ensuing weeks. Matthew 25 is the blueprint. And you can write this if you have a pen uh, or pencil handy on your, on your card here. The blueprint for church mission, as from Matthew 25, is first and foremost, prepare his church. And this comes from the parable of the ten virgins, where they all had lamps, five of them had flasks of oil, and five of them didn't. And it calls the one with five to be wise, and unwise the ones that had no extra oil, only the lamp. And as the parable goes on, these ten virgins are, are going out and they now feel that the bridegroom is coming back and yet now their lamps have run dry and they have no oil. And they're begging these other five to give them some oil, but the women are saying, if we give you ours, there won't be enough for us. Go out and get some and come back. And so these five virgins leave, and as they were gone, the bridegroom comes back and takes these five with them because they had prepared themselves with flasks of oil. In Scripture, we see oil representing the Holy Spirit. And the great picture that you can get out of this, that the Christian life is not about the appearance of being a Christian, having a lamp, looking like a lamp, having a light, so to speak. But the foundation of the Christian life is beyond that surface, and it comes to the inner oil of our lives, the presence and fullness of the Holy Spirit. And so that's talking about the preparedness 
of the flasks of oil, of being full of the Spirit. And that's the first part to me, the preparation of God's church. The second one was the unleashing of our talents. And that's the parable of the talents. When a master gives five talents to one servant, two talents to another, and one talent to a final third one, and then he goes away. And as he was gone, the one with five goes out and invests it and gets five more. The one with two doubles it and gets two two more. But the one with one was thinking, wow, I, I got this one, but my master, he's a hard man, and so I better just go stick it in the ground, and when he comes back, I'll present it to him as is intact. And the master comes back, he goes to the five, uh, who, who the one with five and he says well done enter into your rest to the one with two who doubled well done and when he gets to the one who had one who presents this one back to him he says you wicked slave and he takes that and he gives it to the one with ten to the one who who has he'll be given more he says but the one who doesn't have even what he has will be taken away and what we see here is the necessity and the need for us to utilize the gifts and talents that God has given to us to invest them, to maximize them, to be good stewards of all of that, not to just present ourselves as is intact. This is the life you gave me, and so I'll just cruise on in right through the end of my life, and here I am back to you, O Lord. What He wants from our lives is a doubling. He wants the growth and the use of our talents, and so that is an endeavor for us as a church. What would it look like for us to utilize ourselves, our bodies, our spirits, our prayers, our voices, our service, our hands, to serve one another as a church and also the community that's around us. And so the unleashing of our talents. And I do want to get more people involved through our Sundays and the different aspects of our church at the retreat. I asked a couple of the ladies to, to pray today. I, I, I jumped in on Michelle. And I, I, didn't, I, you know, I was thinking about Michelle, but I said if I ask her, if I tell her now, she's going to be so nervous during the worship that she's not going to worship properly, I said, right? So I said, no, I'm not going to tell her in advance. I'm going to sneak it up on her. And just right before, like literally seconds before I'm asking her to pray, I'm going to just go and tap her, right? That's what I did today. And she's like, okay. (laughs) But thank you. But what what God is placing in my heart is to get more people involved on Sundays, to get more people involved, to to pray, to give, to share, and to utilize uh, our, our gifts before the Lord. And the third thing is to care for the least. And that's the final parable when there are sheep and goats. And as they are separated right and left, the king will say to those on his right, come and enter into your rest, right? You who are blessed. When I was hungry or thirsty or naked or poor or stranger in jail, he says, you gave me food, you gave me a drink, you comforted me, you visited me, you... You did these things for me. And the righteous shall say, when did we see you hungry and give you food or thirsty and give you drink? When were you naked that we clothed you or a stranger or in prison? When were you these things? And the reply came, right? That when you did it for the least of these brothers of mine, you did it to me. And that is the final exclamation of the discourse on the Mount of Olives to his private discussion with his disciples. The next two blanks right there under the Olivet Discourse is that it's a private conversation with only disciples. And you find that in Matthew 24, 3. And the second blank is it was only two days before the Passover. Two days. 
two days. And so if you get in the situation for a moment, right? Have you ever like, I remember like uh, there was a time where I had to visit my mom up in Canada, right? And uh, there would be one Sunday where I wouldn't be there because my dad was sick, right? And so I wouldn't be here at church. And so I was like, all of the important things that I do that I felt like needed to get done, I was writing those things down. And I wrote this long, long administrative email to a few folks, right? To say, these are the things you need to do, da-da-da-da-da. And so when you are about to leave and you know you will be gone, you give very, very important information. And it's very blunt and to the point. There's no like long, like talk around, like uh, try to motivate. There's none of this. When you got a set amount of time and it's really the people that you need to say something to, this is the situation Jesus was in. In two days time, he knows he's going to go and be crucified. Passover will come. He'll be delivered up. And so that is just on the immediate horizon. And on this Mount of Olives, it says the disciples came to him privately and they were asking all of these things. And it says Jesus spoke to them. This isn't to the crowd. This isn't to the ones where he's trying to think, can you be a follower of mine? I've seen you around for some time and you were kind of on the outskirts a little bit. Maybe I can bring this person in if I say the right thing. It wasn't that type of a talk. It wasn't about trying to encourage the distraught. It wasn't about healing the broken. It was his disciples that had walked with him for these years and they were in a private conversation on the Mount of Olives two days before Passover. And in this situation, what does Jesus say? This is a climactic moment, conversation. The Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, we're talking about a great start to public discourse, right? We're talking about a sermon that was given, blessed are the poor in spirit, and he goes on and on in eloquence and in authority, speaks the word on that hillside to that multitude of people that were gathered. So his public ministry started in that type of arena where he was speaking to the multitudes, but his public ministry ended with a private conversation with 12 people. And he shares some phenomenal things. And this is why Matthew 25 had such phenomenal weight for me. As I was thinking about what this means for our church. I was thinking, yeah, this is exactly it. The very last things you would say to the group of people that would launch this movement called Christianity, yeah, I, I think that's important. Why not read it more closely and try to pattern our church around that? And there's some phenomenal things in Matthew 24, and there's some phenomenal things in Matthew 25. I gave you some bullet points to what the summary is of those two chapters. And if you can write this down, right next to Matthew 24, that summary, the first point is basically false prophets will emerge, so don't be deceived, right? That's what Jesus is telling this group of 12, okay? There will come a day when other people will say they are the Christ or they will try to give fear by saying famine and wars and all of these things, but don't be led astray. Don't be deceived. They're not of me. And he's saying false prophets will emerge. There will be these people that will come in the name of Christ. But don't follow. 
And so what I want you to write next to that, or the importance to that particular bullet point, is knowing and living in truth. Knowing and living in truth. And so as a church, what would it mean to know and live in truth? To not be deceived. To know when I am being deceived. You know, kind of to know when when someone's just giving you a pitch. When something's like got a hint of, of truth to it, but it's not biblical. Right? To know that as a church. And so to be a church that loves Scripture, that gets into the Word, that reads the Word when we get together, this is phenomenally important for us. And this is what Jesus is saying to His disciples. Don't be tricked. Be able to identify the false prophet when they emerge. Because they will speak words that I did not speak. And so we've got to get into the Word as a church. Secondly, the bullet point is anticipate great tribulation and persevere, right? He says, oh man, if you don't have babies in those times, or if you don't have any children, you are blessed, right? Because great tribulation is coming. Great tribulation. But the key here is the perseverance. Perseverance is crucial. You can write that in bold letters if you'd like. In my opinion, second only to love is perseverance. When it comes to the Christian life. Love is is paramount. Love is climactic mountaintop. That is the pinnacle characteristic of the Christian. Love. Because that's what God is. And if we have not love, the world will not know that we are disciples of Jesus. And so love is first. It is primary. And second, only to love, I find perseverance. Perseverance. You can think of wisdom all of these other characteristics. But perseverance is key. And you can write a verse for that. Chapter 24, verse 13. You can write that in your notes. In chapter 24, verse 3, this is what it says. Sorry, verse 13. Not three. But the one who endures till the end, he shall be saved. And we're talking about this environment of hardship and tribulation. And I can take that into so many different realms. If you want to make a difference in your careers, it will not be just about your skill set. It will be about perseverance. Why? Because you will work under bosses and have colleagues and have projects given to you that you will not like who you despise. The key characteristic for success in life, and let's even try to divorce ourselves from the Christian life, even for a moment, is perseverance. It is the ability to continue at it, to not give up. Because everybody wants to give up. Nine times out of ten, somebody will give up. But if we want to achieve something of great significance at the end of our lives, it will be about perseverance. And the third bullet point is, Jesus is coming back, so be ready, right? Jesus is saying, all right, I know this tribulation is coming, but don't worry. Just like lightning flashes from the east to the west, so will the Son of Man come back. 
I'm coming back. Don't worry. I'm coming back. And he gives them a parable about a fig tree. When its branches soften, you'll know that it's ready. Just in the same way, when you see this tribulation and all of these things happening, it is like the softening of the branches. And it is a demonstration. Get ready. I'm about to come back. And as we get ready, what does it mean to be ready? You can write as a little side note, integrity and faithfulness to that bullet point. Integrity and faithfulness. If you want to write a verse down, you can write chapter 24, verse 46. Jesus gives this parable about, uh, he's, he's teaching on his coming again, and he's talking about, you know, just like in the days of Noah, they didn't even know until the floods came, right? And he continues to go on and talking about, you know, if a person who owns a house knew the exact hour that the robber would come, of course he'd be awake to get ready for him. And he's saying, have the same posture of always being ready, always being ready. And then he goes on in verse 45, going, leading to verse 46, who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom... His master has put in charge of his household to give them uh, their food at the proper time. Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Right? Have you ever been that student? You know, you're like goofing off in class because the teacher's doing something uh, somewhere else, right? And you hear the footsteps come, oh, shh. Right? And you kind of get back to what you're doing. Or maybe not as a student in the workplace, you know, like doing something else. Oh, uh, all right. Uh, control tab, whatever it is, right? Uh, maybe it's that, right? But this is saying, don't be just doing what you should be doing when you know the master's coming back. Do it all of the time. Because he'll come back when you don't know. He'll surprise you. And blessed is the slave that's doing what he should be doing all of the time. Not just when the eyes are looking over. That was the point here. And so be ready for it. To live as though each day Jesus would come back is the posture that we ought to have. Not just, wait a minute, okay, it's kind of changing. He might come back now, so let's live like a Christian now. No, it's about the readiness and the daily living. Because he's coming back. That's the summary of chapter 24. The summary of 25 is first, be filled with oil, don't just possess a lamp. If you want to write a notation there, it's not the appearance of the Christian. It's not the appearance of being a Christian that's important. Singing songs, coming to church, doing Christian things, saying Christian things, but it is about having a flask that is filled with oil, the anointing of the Spirit, living a life that is Spirit-filled. The notation for that is 25 verse 4. The second bullet point is faithfully use your talents. And I've talked about this, right? And this is about understanding that using talents is the precedent for blessings. That when I am faithful to use it, that is what brings blessings into my life. Into my life. And the, notation, the verse notation is 25-21. And the last bullet point is care for, and care for and serve the least. And what we need to know here is that caring for the least is inextricably connected to loving Jesus. You cannot separate the two. You cannot separate. I love you, Jesus, but I don't care for anybody that's needy. 
You cannot say that. That is a, a paradox of paradoxes. To love Jesus is inextricably connect, connected to caring for the hungry, the thirsty, the needy, those who are marginalized, the least of us. And the notation for that is 2540, chapter 25, verse 40. I'm about to, to end this off. And um, you guys come back. You come back. From next week, I'm going to dive a little bit deeper into, we're going to just spend some time. So what I'm doing is kind of deducing. I'll give you the main thing, which is, I believe, the overview today. And then we'll spend some time on the details for the next few weeks. But I guess the last thing that I'd like to say is, um, in life, there are certain people and places that have phenomenal importance to our um, maturity, to our own personal identity and formation. I can think of a couple um, that are of paramount importance. The parents that you have and the home that you're in, I believe, is tremendously important in terms of our formation. It could be biological parents or might not have to be. But the parental figures and the home environment that I grew up in, that is so crucial into the formation of who I am as a person. I can see that as number one. A second sphere that I know is important are the teachers and friends that I have in my environment of the school. It starts from grade school and it goes on, yes, well into university, into college years. But the teachers that I have are so important. And that's why Jenny and I, we pray for our kids to have good teachers. So far, so good. I mean, they're, I mean even from early, like early preschool, like God has given us great teachers for these kids. Just ones that love them and really just kind of pour just compassion on them. Right? We're so thankful for that. And I, we'll continue that prayer through elementary and middle school and high school right into their college years, and I just pray for world-class professors to sit over them, to inspire them, and to, to speak words into them. And so the parental figures in the home environment, I think that's one. I think, two is teachers and friends within our schools. But if I were to think about another primary sphere, um, I think it's pastor and church. And I don't say that to elevate my position by any means. I say that because I felt the weight of that over these last few weeks and how I was not faithful to that particular sphere and that place or that calling. And I repented of that. And that's why I think I haven't cried this much in years when it came to my own personal worship, my own preparation. I, feel like, I mean, if you knew me from before, like... I'm somewhat of an emotional guy. Uh, my wife knows that, right? Um, and I don't mind so, often, so much that, that people know that. But these wells dried up for some years. Um, in my own worship, they dried up. In my own prayer life, they dried up. And uh, as I feel the water level in the well of my tears, so to speak, as it rises... 
I feel something good happening in my spirit. I feel something really, really good happening in my spirit. And when I think about my Christian life and how important it is to meet a good pastor and be a part of a healthy church, I said to myself, God, I want to be faithful. And I want anybody who calls me their pastor or City Chapel their church to be blessed beyond belief. And that is something that is kind of undergirding as well, the shift in my heart. And really, the steps that are in front of us as a church, we'll find out together because I don't even know. (laughs) I don't even know. If that reassures you or not, uh, uh, take it as you like, okay? <laughs> like you, you're being led by the blind. <laughs> Where are we going? I don't know. Can anybody see back there? <laughs> right? That's, that's kind of like how it is. We'll just all hold hands and die together, you know? It's like Toy Story and the, the toys are in this burning heap, right? Sliding down into the from abyss of the fire. And they realize they can't climb up, so all they can do is... And they all hold hands to their death. Maybe that won't be us. No, that won't be us, right? Uh, I promise to have my eyes open, but more importantly, my heart open in the mornings. Um, And the path that the Lord leads us down, I know will be a good one. And I'm excited for that. Um, And one of the things that I shared this past Friday with the folks that came out is God is saying, put more stock in Friday, which is weird, right? Put a lot of stock in Friday. Make it very important. And uh, so that is not to say that you're a second-class citizen if you only come on Sunday. But God is saying to me, put a lot of stock into what happens in that inner prayer room. And um, that will be a driving force for the church. So this little black journal of a prayer log and chain that we have, I think will be one of the most important things that we have as a church. And as I was getting ready for the sermon today, I was sitting at my chair, and I had my trusty old Bible. It was sitting right on my desk. I put this noteworthy notepad on top, and the city chapel prayer chain right on top. It was just like this sitting on my desk, and I was just looking at it, and God says, these are the only three books that you need as you lead this church in this next season. I was like, whoa. All right, I got it. I, I, I don't need the computer necessarily. I don't need any other book or commentary saying, I just want you to have these three books front and center every time you lead this church. So I'll be faithful to that. Amen.